Good morning, church. It's good to be here with you today. So I was looking back on my calendar a little bit and realized that the last time I was up here in this place was back in November of 2020. And I may have miscalculated here, but um, you probably, I'm not going to put you up to remembering what I spoke on. So um, last time I preached here, I spoke from John chapter 15, 1 through 8, a Bible study on the true vine. Jesus said, I am the vine, you the branches. And I wanted to follow that with the next portion of Scripture is um, 9 through 17 is what I'm going to be focusing on today. And what a packed portion of Scripture. I just feel extremely inadequate to be some kind of a vessel that could carry this gold today. And truly, God's word is gold. Um, It's more precious than gold. Um, It's spiritual gold. Looking at love is such a vast, looking at God's love is such a vast and Um, unsearchable depth to try to unpack. I feel very inadequate to do so, but um, I'm praying for grace and and his spirit to lead, and um, I know I've been blessed with this study. So um, at this time, I've asked Bethany to come up and read the passage. This is John chapter 15, verse 9 through 17. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things, for all things I have heard from my from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. All right. Verse 9, we'll start right there. As the Father loved me, stop. What does that mean? What does it mean... When he says, as the Father loves me, I have loved you. So I'm going to carry this mic over here and do some erasing on the board. 
And I'm looking at this scripture and I see a math equation coming out. So I'm going to write here on the board, Father loves Son equals Son loves us. I don't know if you've ever seen a more powerful equal sign ever. This could have been less than, and we still would be greatly loved. But it's impossible that it could be greater than because the Father loves the Son with perfect love. But it's an equal. It is an equal sign. So, as I've looked at this and consider, there, we have overcomplicated many things, and I love taking Scripture and boiling it down to the basic rudiments, and so I can, my little simple brain can understand and start to get a little bit of a grip. And I know there's three types of love, but I would like to condense it into two. And by the way, I looked in the Strong's, and all the word love today in today's text is the form of agape love, which is, which is the self-sacrificing, committed love. Um, when someone loves with agape love, they're placing blessing, encouragement, and generosity upon someone, not because they deserve it, but because... I just chose to do that. That is agape love. And then we get to the math equation of, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved the Son with the equal sign. How much, how much is it? Do we know how much love the Father has for the Son? There's a lot of missing information to figure out that data. Um, We haven't been to heaven. We haven't seen God in his purest form. We don't know quite to the degree of his relationship and love with his son that he has. But I'm sure it's great. Um, The best I can do is think about, um, my mind goes to parenting and um, you parents know what I'm talking about. If It doesn't matter if your baby is 2 or 22. The, the moment you realize that your child is lost and gone and you do not know where they are and you've gone hours searching, your heart is just burning inside. You want your child so desperately. Um, and for, for two-year-olds... You, you're trying to decide how soon you should dial 911 because if it's been 30 minutes and you've checked everywhere and you can't find your baby 
and you've checked the edges of the woods, oh, those feelings of panic. You know what I mean about a parent's love. A parent loves their child, and yet a parent's love is kind of broken. My love is very imperfect, just ask my children. Um, but I'm a work of um, progress, hopefully. So we can imagine what this love relationship between son and the father could be, but it's mostly speculation. But I do know that Jesus came forth from the father, from the bosom of the father. He proceeded forth. He is in the perfect image of his father. And there was no sin to mar that relationship. So when I say it's a perfect relationship, a perfect love, I am sure it is. Now, the other way we can figure out how much the son and the father's love relationship is, how much the father loves the son, is working the math problem backwards. So we know the scripture says that Jesus came into the world to die for the lost, to bring salvation to undeserving people. That was agape love. That was not because we deserved it. That is because he chose to do it. And he lived and loved perfectly. And he showed us this love. So we know we can put some weight to this equation. And therefore, we can point back to understand that the father had agape love for his son. And the son has agape love for us. So I want to um, introduce a symbol. It may be Catholic. I don't, I don't mean to um, get any wrong symbols here going, but it's something I was imagining how it could be. I'm drawing a heart, and I'm putting a cross within the heart, and I'm calling this agape love. And so I'm going to write Father above this, heart. And then the Father loves the Son with another heart with a cross on it. And I'm also going to put another heart off to the side that has an S inside, and that is self-love. Remember I said there was two loves. There's agape. I would like to bullet to two. There's agape love. There's the self-sacrificing, giving kind of love, and then there's the self-love, and it's so complicated. We could go into this deeply, but in everything that we do that can appear really kind and gracious, there can be a heart problem that's even behind good things that we do, and it's really difficult to flesh all that out. Um, you, can, you can love others and show kindness to others for the same in return. Jesus spoke of that. Um, that's not exactly agape love. But agape love is unnatural to us. It is not our native tongue.
So the father loves the son with perfect love. And have you ever noticed that people who have been loved tend to love others a lot? And those who have experienced little love tend to not love much. And so I like to picture it this way, that Jesus was soaked up with the Father's love and he came to earth to love on humanity and to reach humanity. All right, so verse nine, Jesus says, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in this love. Abide in this love. What does that mean? So if I have to say that I have to abide in his love, then it's also possible that I could not abide in his love. Is love a place that I can live, that I have to abide in? Is it a house? And if it's possible to abide in his love, then it's also possible that I don't abide in his love. Does that mean that if I don't live right, I'm out and I'm not loved of God? And if I am obedient and, and follow him, I am loved of God. Th- that is not the case. That is not. Because we just read, we made, um, Jesus made it very clear in the first verse that without condition, without a condition, he loved us with a perfect love, the same love that he loved that the Father loved him. That was without a condition. And I like to think of it as a flashlight. I was going to bring one this morning, but a flashlight, you've got the batteries all in a row, triple A's if you're, or double A's, and then you've got the bulb and the reflector and the light shining out. And if the batteries was the Father, and the bulb was the Son, and the light was the love coming from the Son. You know, when we're, to abide in that love is to stay in that circle of light. To not abide is to walk elsewhere. You're not being unloved. The love is still shining. It's just that we have the option or the choice to not abide in that love, and we'll get more into that, what that looks like. So the question is, is how do we abide in his love? And thankfully, um, Jesus answers that in the very next verse. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Okay, that sounds a little... There's a condition now. If, is this legalistic? We have commandments now. Follow his commandments. So I'm going to write commandments along this side. And I would write it on the other side too, just to give the picture that commandments are the walls of this house, that you must obey his commandments in order to abide in his house of love. So, What are his commandments? Verse 12 and 13 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another. And it would be nice if it stopped there, but it does not. It says, as I have loved you. 
Not only do you have to love one another, but it's to love to the degree that Jesus loved as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Quite the house rules. And I'll say it this way. There's basically one rule to abiding in his love, and that is to get in line, father, son, and me, and pass it on. The one house rule is that we pass it on. The agape love that we are loved with needs to be passed on. So Jesus' love is sent going forth. And I'm putting a heart down here at the bottom with me written beside it, and I'm putting a cross on it. And then I'm drawing arrows from that heart in all directions. Christians are supposed to be known by their love because their Lord, their master, our, our Lord, our master is, is the perfect example of agape love. So I drew a um, heart off to the side with the S in it. That's a heart that is filled with self-love. And I want us to consider for a little bit who we are, who we were before Christ. In Romans 12, 8, it says, But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I wanted to bring that out as Jesus didn't clean us up enough so that he could love us. It was while we were in our worst state he loved us. We were the most unlovely, undeserving individuals any creator could have loved. And for some reason, he chose to love us. And friends, that is life-changing. That is life-changing. Then Jesus commands us, now go and love the same way. But Lord, it's risky to love like that. Jesus says, yeah, it is. We say, they don't deserve it. Jesus is like, you're right, you didn't. They might misunderstand grace and, and love. They might take advantage of us. Jesus says, I know all about that. Here's the thing, if the perfect one, Christ, if the perfect one loved imperfect people perfectly, that's a lot of perfects, if Jesus, okay, I can understand the Father loving the Son, okay, because perfect loving perfect with perfect love, that kind of makes sense in our limited minds, but how about perfect and perfect love loving very broken, imperfect people. That's where it doesn't make sense. So if Jesus crossed that bridge for us, shouldn't we be able to carry that forward? Here is, I am imperfect and broken, but perfectly loved. Can I not pass that on to other 
imperfect, broken people. Taking on the agape pattern of love, saying, no, you don't deserve this, but I have a Lord that loves me. Is the cross of Christ applied to your heart? Do you have that perfect love flowing through you? So getting into this house of love, it's, it's more than a legalistic step saying, so before I started going to church, I lived out here with self-love, but then I started just loving people the way that Jesus taught. Now I'm a Christian. That is impossible. That is an impossibility because our natural state will not ever allow us to love like Jesus loves. It is an impossibility. Um, and it's probably an offense to God for us to, to um, think that way. We, it, you know what? It takes believing in the gospel and accepting his infusion of love in our lives, recognizing there's nothing I can do to save myself and being having a heart transplant. With that heart transplant, we have agape starting to flow through us to undeserving people and building the kingdom that way. Um, So here's, a, here's another perspective I was thinking about is the cross. The cross hurts, and love hurts. You know, the father who loved his son with perfect love didn't spare him from the cross. And why? Because he, just, he chose to love a very undeserving, broken people. So love hurt the father, love hurt the son, Jesus was broken for our sake, and through his brokenness, we find God. The Father didn't spare his only Son from the suffering of the cross. Should we expect to be spared from the cross ourselves? Is it possible that the Lord will need to break you or me a little so that the love of God can flow through us to others? Maybe others will be changed forever by the grace of God in you in the midst of your suffering. The way of the cross is as it sounds. It's, it's not just a death at the top of a hill. It's a life of cross. Um, Jesus showed us this life, the way of the cross, repeatedly when he walked on the earth years before he actually died at Calvary. Um, Jesus went around through villages and towns, reaching out to poor and sick and outcast people. He didn't resist a sinful woman who um, broke the alabaster flask. He didn't flinch at having dinner with Zacchaeus and his shady friends. He laid his hands on the rejected lepers 
he picked up dirty little children and blessed them. Remember the time Jesus took his disciples on a vacation? It didn't turn out much like a vacation. When they reached the destination, the far shore, it was swarming with sweaty travelers. What did Jesus do? He had compassion. What would have I done? I think I would have had a picnic in the boat about a mile from shore. Um, But not Jesus. He had compassion and served them and loved them. Jesus taught, don't just invite family or wealthy friends to your house. Invite the poor and the homeless. Invite those who can't repay you. That will show the love of God. One of the greatest examples is at the Last Supper when Jesus, knowing who he was, fully God, fully man, knowing who he was. I mean, sometimes I think I'm something, you know, but I'm, the Scripture tells me, be careful not to think you're something because you fool yourself. But Jesus knew he was fully God, fully man, He took the towel and washed his disciples' feet. Now, a cultural reference, this was kind of new to me, but feet in that day were considered the dirtiest or less the um, most dishonorable part of a person's body. If traveling friends came to a household that could afford servants, the lowest servant would assume the responsibility of washing the guest's feet. And here in the upper room, there are 13 men. All have been traveling. And Peter's thinking, I sure hope they don't bring up feet washing because I'm sitting down at the end of the table. They might ask me. And then everybody would know I'm the least of the disciples. Um, There's a book, um, The God of the Tao, The writer says, in the upper room that night, there were 12 lords and one servant. It's an interesting picture. 12 men jostling for position. Who's going to be the greatest? I am. I am not I am. No, because you forgot the bread yesterday. No, but Jesus asked me to sit beside him the other day, so there. There was one man... God incarnate, the creator in his creation among 12 unsanctified, self-righteous, self-seeking, undeserving men. Hope I'm not being too hard on them. They'll talk to me about this later, probably. Jesus, among these men, he took the towel and the basin and washed their dirty feet. I tell you, there's two loves. The one love is natural to our understanding. It's self-protecting, self-serving love. The other is from heaven. It's not natural. It is others-seeking love. We can't manufacture it. Jesus did this beautiful sign of love, not because they were so elite, but because he chose to love. And so it should be for Christians.
The mark of a true Christian is agape love. Greater love hath no man than this, Jesus said, than to lay down one's life for his friends. The time may come for us to actually lay down our lives for each other in this room, but just like Jesus walked many years before the cross, there, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for selfless giving in agape love. Are you living with God's love flowing through you? Who would know? Usually those closest to us see what kind of person we are. So maybe ask your wife or your husband or your children. Don't ask mine. Uh, maybe you could ask the church. If the agape love of God isn't felt by those closest to you or me, we may have a problem. So what is church to you? What is church to you? Is it a group of people that you associate with when everything is going smoothly and you're benefiting, you plug in? Or is it a group of people who God has called you to, a group of undeserving, difficult, messy individuals for whom God wants to break you and pour you out to, and to serve and bless? The one house rule, the one rule is pass it on. Don't you love rules? It's so restrictive. So legalistic, isn't it? I'm just there. No, he actually gave us his commandments so that his joy may remain in us and that our joy may be full. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, these things I have spoken to you that you may, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. How's your joy tank this morning? How's mine? I can tell you I have not been full of joy all week. Um, but our level of joy can sometimes tell us how we're doing in our love department. And... <clears throat> What would you trade for the kind, this kind of Jesus joy? You know, self-focused living is the most miserable life. Um, trust me, I've tried it. Um, people living for self can never be satisfied. And they are themselves miserable and they make everybody else miserable around them. Um, people often think that possessions bring joy, and I suppose possessions can bring a very temporary feeling of joy. Um, it's probably not even the right word, joy. But um, So you get a new truck, and that was fun. But um, pretty soon it's not a new truck anymore, so what are you going to do? Go get another new truck? Um, wealthy people have spent millions and billions trying to get a hold of a joy. A larger mansion, a bigger boat, more servants, fancier exotic trips around the world. And why? All in an attempt to harness joy with 
the money that they worked so hard to earn when Jesus gives it for free, except it's not quite free. There's some cost to it. Um, you have to keep the rule. You have to have agape love in you. And the only way is to be born again. I'll throw that back in there for free. Jesus gives us the purest joy. Um, verse 16 is really special too. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you. Jesus chose you, by the way. Don't ever think that you're an accident or a mistake and don't have a purpose. Jesus says he chose and appointed you to bear fruit. And this fruit is, is a product of loving with agape love. I'll finish reading that verse. Um, you, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Whatever you ask in my name, he will give you. That's a big promise, and it's been taken out of context much. But let's just, for the sake of time, leave it right in context. He's talking about kingdom prayers. He's talking about fruit-oriented prayers, bearing much fruit. He loves giving those things we ask for in regard to bearing much fruit. So go and ask. In verse 17, he says, he wraps up with this simple command. These things I command you that you love one another. So this is the gospel in a nutshell of the kingdom. We have a great king who has conquered the grave, who lives who loves with perfect love and has minimal rules and regulations. It's actually very close to one, and that is to love with agape love. And we get to be a part of it. You get to be a part of it. God bless you.